Welcome to the Trinity Chapel Austin podcast. To learn more about TCA, visit us at trinitychapelaustin.org. Everybody say life story. Life story. That, in short, is the answer to the question, what about the grave? Life story. That is what about the grave. And today, it's going to be a little different. I'm going to initially start here by just reading a story. A life story. Your story, my story. God's story. And hopefully we can see where our story intersects with his story. With the life story. Let's pray. Father God, I pray that you would just be in this space, be in this place, Father. I pray that you would give us eyes to see. Give us ears to hear. Give us a heart to understand, Father. Jesus, may we see the power of the narrative. May we see the meta story for what it is. A story of love and redemption and freedom. A life story. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Close your eyes with me for a second. I want you to imagine what it was like at the very beginning. No, in fact, before the beginning. Before anything that is, was. Once upon a time, An infinite, all-powerful being existed outside of time and space. Once upon a time is, in fact, an odd turn of phrase, since at that point in existence, there was no time, or time as we know it had not yet been created. That being simply stated, was. Think the most infinite thought that you can think. Think the widest, deepest, grandest thought. What occupies that place of being, of imagination, of knowing? That space, that infinite place, that person. That is God. And before our beginning, before that being simply stated, was. Now this being had no need for anyone or anything. Its reason, his reason for existence was in and of himself. Even calling him him is only a revelation that speaks to one aspect of his deity. For he is neither male nor female, but embodies both ranges of human experience. The masculine primarily issues from God the Father and the feminine primarily issues from God the Holy Spirit. But they were one with the Son, one God in three persons and thus the perfect family united in the perfection of love. For it was love that was the very quintessential essence of their energy. Love, the very force of animation and the very force which continues to create and sustain all that is 
and all that ever shall be. And so, the perfect family from the beginning, from before all time, the perfect family, in need of no other, overflowing with a holy agape love, didn't need more, but wanted more. For this is the nature of love. Love creates. When a man and a woman fall in love, they get married and create a new life together. And very often that man and woman continue to create out of their growing exponential love. They create new little lives, bringing them into this world. For you see, love is the life force that creates and sustains all that is and all that ever shall be. So this perfect familial God, the uncreated creator who was before all that exists outside of him, allowed his love to spill out. He loosed his love to create, and he started with words. He said, let there be light. And there was light. For though he is light, he had to speak it into a form that could be seen and understood by the gem of his creation. For you see, God had in mind a grand crown jewel for his creation. But first, he had to set the stage. And so he continued to paint upon the void with his love. Ex nihilo, from nothing he created the something. Only God can do that. He created vast galaxies filled with wondrous colors and energy and bouncing, revolving, rotating planets and shooting stars. He created plants and animals and life, multitudinous forms. Then on the sixth day, he got to it. He got to the gem of his creation. According to him, the gem of his creation was the human being. You and me. Human beings alone he chose to animate with a consciousness that was the unalienable mark of the divine image. And thus the human being was given the capacity to know true love, to actually be, and thus called human beings. But to understand this great capacity for love, God did two things. First, he created a man. The masculine creature whose traits like God the Father are traits of planning and organizing and protecting. Many traits located primarily in the head or the brain. The first thing that that first human, Adam, realized was that he was alone, utterly alone. God had him name all of the creatures that had been created. And the end of that day, Adam realized he was utterly alone. With this realization, he cried out to the Father, Father! Except for you, I'm alone. Father, I am incomplete. And the father said, You're right, my child. You are alone. For the very nature of love is community. You can only be complete when you have a companion. You can only be complete when in community. As I and the Holy Spirit have each other and the Son. This is completion. This is love. A woman that embodies those feminine characteristics. And so God created Eve out of Adam. If Adam was the head, the mind of God, Eve was the soul of God. Together they became like God. To this day, this is still a mystery. But all the individual woman in all her beauty and feeling united with the man in all of his strength and directing. And they became one flesh, a whole being for the first time. But that was only the beginning. The first test 
had been to realize that being could only be being, that life is only worth living in community. The second test was to have freedom of will and to continue with that freedom to choose what is good. At some point before God created humanity, he had created a host of angels. These beautiful beings were free to love and live in harmony with their creator. But with free will comes the potential for vice. One angel, Lucifer they called him, was the most beautiful of all the angels. He had the most beautiful voice for worshiping. His appearance was stunning. But one day, Lucifer began to enjoy the compliments of his fellow angels a little too much. When they told him how beautiful he was and how amazing his voice was, instead of saying thank you and praising God for creating him, he said, you're right. I am the best. Maybe, in fact, maybe I'm just as good as God. Maybe I could be better. Now, it seems that there were several angels, one-third of all that God had created that agreed with Lucifer. They, too, had begun to believe that they were more than they were created to be. When these beings, led by Lucifer, saw that God was making a new creation, they became bitterly jealous. When they heard the word that the, that the gem of God's creation was to be human beings, they spat upon the word, human beings. No, I am the gem of your creation. You chose them instead of me. No, I am better than all of creation, better than you, so I will destroy anything you create. You are my enemy. I will show you that I cannot, should not be overlooked. I will manipulate your precious gem. These bitter words of Satan still reverberate through all of time and creation. It has been war ever since. The very creation groans under the weight of that pride. The very creation longs for the day and when it will be delivered from the weight of sin. While Adam was being created, Satan watched, waiting for the opportune time to sully and then destroy the gem. For you see, Satan needs a doorway. He has to find a doorway. He cannot get a foothold. He can't gain entrance. Access is denied unless he is invited in. He went to that creature, that beautiful creature called the serpent. He must have told that creature something similar to what he would soon tell Adam and Eve. But once through the door into God's creation, he waited Inside that serpent, he waited near that tree, lying in wait until Adam and Eve would happen by the tree. Now, when God created the garden, he filled it with colors, scents and sounds and feelings of delight that would bend your imagination. And in that garden, God had placed the gem of his creation. But in order that they might be truly free to love each other and to love him, he gave them one single rule. Choose me above all else. Choose my direction above any other desire, Adam and Eve. I love you so much, my children. Your days will be eternal, fruitful, and free. Your days will be more than even your expansive imagination can ever imagine. If you continue to choose me. Now, Adam and Eve, it's not going to be easy all the time. 
You're going to be tempted to choose yourself or to choose each other above me. But as long as you follow this one rule, you will continue to have unlimited access to my love. For I am a good God. I am love. But by nature, that love also means, love in fact means, that the good must be preserved. So if you ever choose not me, if you ever choose you over me, you will cut yourself off from the unlimited supply of my love. Not because I don't love you, but because my love is pure. It is true, it is good, it is pure. The very nature of my love is a love that eradicates darkness. So if I continue to allow you unfettered access to my love, in a moment when you choose you over me, in that moment, that love would wipe you out. Just like the light going on in a dark room. The darkness would cease to be. So please, please, my children, continue to know the freedom that is found in my love. One day, Adam and Eve were walking in the garden. They were admiring their handiwork. God had told them to tend the garden, and they had done so diligently, and it had become even more beautiful than ever. It was in that moment that they came to the tree of knowledge of good and evil. Just before they had arrived at that tree, they had visited the tree, the tree of life. Words words can't encompass the tree of life. Whenever they ate from the tree of life, they could feel the years of their life extend by leaps and bounds and shouts and praise of joy. Oh, the worship of eating from the tree of life. But they came to the tree of knowledge, and there stood Satan, possessing the serpent, in wait. Hello, children, he said. Wow, this garden is so beautiful. I really love what you've done with the place. What would you say if I told you I could help you make it better? What would you say if I told you I could show you a knowledge that you never even dreamed of? The woman answered, No, God is our sufficiency. We want or need for anything. We need nothing else. Are you sure? Said that cunning serpent, Satan, the deceiver. Actually, God has even more knowledge that you don't know about. Look at me, I know. Just eat some of this fruit here, and it will completely blow your mind. This garden is so beautiful now, but imagine what you, would, what you could create if you had this knowledge that I'm talking about. And she listened to the words of Satan. And she listened to the words of Satan. That was her mistake. And Adam let her. That was his mistake. He didn't lead and run that moment. With that choice, he gave his leadership role to Satan. And Satan rushed through yet another open door. That evening, when God came to walk with Adam and Eve in the garden, he couldn't find them. Usually they were waiting on him. Not today. 
Adam, my son. Eve, sweetie, where are you? They were hiding. Worse, they had tried to cover their sin with plants. God slowly shook his head as a tear rolled down his cheek. Yes, he's God, so he knew this would happen. But just because you know your dog will one day die, just because you know your grandma or grandpa will soon die, does that make it any easier? No, quite the contrary. Usually the death just punctuates the pain. So in that moment, the father cried. He turned to his children and told them, Walk with me. They walked back to the tree of knowledge. And there, God had a conversation with Adam and Eve and the serpent. If you have your Bibles, turn with me to John 3.16. Although you probably don't even need to turn to John 3.16 because... We said it at the beginning, and this is usually the verse that even if you're not a Christian, you know. I know we all have different translations. That's okay. Hallelujah. God speaks in our language. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son that whosoever believes in him would not perish, but have eternal life. For God did not send His Son into the world that He might condemn the world, but that the world might be saved through Him. Anyone who believes in Him is not condemned, but anyone who does not believe is already condemned because he has not believed in the name of the one and only Son of God. Then this is the judgment, the light came into the world and people loved darkness rather than the light because their deeds were evil Father God may your words Jesus may you the word penetrate our thick skulls and hearts may we stop thinking that we know Jesus name we pray. Amen. 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 Turn with me to Luke chapter 20. We go now from that garden to another garden. You see on that fateful day when Adam and Eve chose themselves over God. God set a plan into motion. Everybody say reconciliation. Reconciliation. This whole Bible can be summed up by one single word. Reconciliation. Reconciliation. From the moment when Adam and Eve made the choice to cut themselves off from the good, true, pure, and perfect love of God. God began to look for a way back in. A way to rebuild the bridge. A way to reconcile himself to humanity. And the only way was to come to earth himself. Was for God the Father to send God the Son to himself become one of us. 
Because you see that we learn right there in the Garden of Eden, the wages of sin is death. The wages of sin is death. Say that. The wages of sin is death. That means that the world that we live in has been fallen, has been separated from the Creator because of sin. And the good, righteous, just love of God, the very nature of it demands payment. Oh, but I didn't do anything wrong. I'm a good person. No, you're not. You're a liar. I'm a liar. If those words come out of my mouth, I am a liar. Because I know me, right? You know you. You know that we have fallen. We have fallen. We are away from God. We are completely lost. You know, we can seek to find meaning and make meaning out of what we do and what we create in this world. And often it can be beautiful because God's mark, His image is still within us. We still have a spark of that divine love that allows us to create. Yet, we are still cut off from the continual flow and freedom of that love. As long as we continue to say, no, I'm good. No, I don't need your love, God. I've got enough of it right here. I'm alive. I'm being. But you're not really being. And so Jesus came. God the Father, the human God in the flesh, the incarnation, the most beautiful bridge of all. He said, I'm going to speak your language. You're not hearing me. I've been trying to get through to you. So I'm going to come to you and show you how much I love you. And so Jesus came and showed us how to live. He showed us how to love. He showed us how to be back in right relationship with God. And that is really what Easter is all about. That is the gospel story. It is about how our Savior came to save us. To set us free from ourselves. And none who have said yes. None who have truly said yes. To Jesus. Have found even a jot or a tittle. The dot of an I or the crossing of the T. In this story unreal no in fact the story is but a illustration it's but an analogy of what it truly means to be tapped into the father of love and lights the father who gives you freedom and so we find jesus here in the garden in luke 20 luke 22 verse 39 Jesus went out and made his way as usual to the Mount of Olives. And the disciples followed him. When he reached the place, he told them, Pray that you may not enter into temptation. And he withdrew from them about a stone's throw away, knelt down and began to pray. Father, if you are willing, take this cup away from me. 
Nevertheless, not my will be done, but yours. Then an angel from heaven appeared to Jesus, strengthening him, being in anguish. He prayed more fervently, and his sweat became like drops of blood falling to the ground. Isn't it beautiful how we just read in a garden how an angel came and uh, ministered to Adam and Eve. (laughs) And now we see Jesus in the garden being ministered to by an angel. This time a good angel. An angel of the Most High God. When Jesus got up from prayer and came to the disciples... He found them sleeping, exhausted from their grief. Why are you sleeping? He asked them. Get up and pray so that you won't enter into temptation. And we know what happens next. If you don't know, I'll tell you. Jesus goes to the cross. He dies. Now, I want you to think about the agony of Jesus for a second. You know, often on Easter, we tend to focus on the, um, you know, the, the, the pain that he suffered on the cross, the nails and the thorns and the lashing. And yeah, that's pretty painful, <laughs> naturally. But I want you to think back to the beginning of the story. How when nothing else existed except the uncreated God, how the perfect familial God, that perfect family who needed nothing or anyone except each other, lived in a state of perfect love and perfection. Now fast forward to Jesus in the garden, sweating blood. He was terrified. He was strengthened by the Holy Spirit in that moment. He was strengthened by the angel that came as well. But he was completely terrified of what he was about to experience. And it wasn't the thorn of crown, the crown of thorns. It wasn't the lashing from the whip. It wasn't even the nails that he was terrified of. He was terrified that he was about to be separated from his father. That was the true anguish. That was the true pain. That was why he cried out, Father, why have you forsaken me? Because God the Father, while Christ hung on that cross, in order for Jesus to be the just substitution for our sin, he had to pour out his wrath on his son. He had to spill his love out on his son. And what that love demanded, what that justification demanded, was that the father turn his back on the son. And in doing so, Jesus experienced what he had never experienced, ever, ever, ever. He experienced what no human should ever experience. Utter and abject loneliness. 
that is hell. You know, when you talk about hell, when you consider the implications of paying the wages of sin on your own and ending up in this fiery place called hell, I promise you the pain has nothing to do with the fire. It has nothing to do with the worms. It has everything to do with being alone. It has everything to do with being separated from the goodness, from the love of the Creator. And that is what Jesus suffered on that cross. So as we consider the death of the Messiah, as we consider what Jesus did for us, ask yourself, where am I going to spend eternity? Because this is the real question. This is the reason that so many get up and come to church on Sunday morning, day in and day out. But sadly, even many of us who do that have forgotten what it feels like to be alone, what it feels like to be hopeless. Or worse, we have remained in relationship with the Father, but have not allowed Him to enter into our hopelessness. You knew that impending pain of the loss of a loved one? Have you let Christ in there? You know that anger that overwhelms you and causes separation within yourself and around and with those around you? Have you let the living God's love in there? You see, Satan's tactic is to get us alone and keep us alone. It is to get us comfortable in being without community. Yet Jesus knew what that meant. Jesus knew the feeling of separation, of true separation. Though many times here on earth we are blinded to that reality. But Jesus made a way. He made a way for the blinders to fall off. This is why we preach the gospel. This is what the gospel is. It is the good news that there is a way out of your darkness. Better said, there is a way in your darkness. Because although you can make meaning in life with that divine spark, with that creative imagination that still dwells in you being created in the image of God, your spirit is yet dead until you say yes to Jesus. Until you stop saying yes to yourself, you will forever be separated from the love of God. You will only know a shell of existence. And life is but a blip, but a vapor, King Solomon said, but a wisp in comparison to all of eternity. In comparison to time, in fact, your life is but a blip. So what are you going to do with it? Are you living life with eternity stamped on your eyeballs? Are you viewing your existence and your day-to-day dealings through the implications of the gospel story? 
Because I promise you, I promise you, you do not know the pain of loneliness now. As you will, if you continue to say no to the Father of love. I'm just being real with y'all today, guys. I know this is heavy. But the truth is heavy. The truth is that love demands a verdict. The truth is, is that if you try to say that love accepts all, you don't know what you're saying. (laughs) Love cannot accept all. At that point, it ceases to be love. Love has to step in and say, no, there is a cliff. There is an abyss here. Walk no further, friend. You will fall and be forever lost. No, says love. This is not the way. And so the father says to us, I give you life and death. I said before you to this day, a way of life. Where you say yes to me and a way of death. Where you continue to say yes to you. Continue to live a shell of existence. Stand with me this morning. The beauty of the life story is, of course, in what we celebrate today. He is risen. He is risen indeed. He truly is risen indeed. And that is a promise. Guys, that is a promise to all who are willing to say yes to the Creator. All who are willing to say, yes, Jesus, I see what you've done for me. I see the bridge. I acknowledge it. I acknowledge that as I continue to say yes to myself, I will step off the cliff into the abyss. And so I choose to say yes to you. And in that moment, you choose a life that I cannot even begin to explain. Guys, it is so incredible to talk and walk with the Father. To be led by the Spirit of God. To have the freedom to say no. And the freedom to truly live. And so again, I place before you the question of life and death. Jesus said that Satan has come to still kill and destroy, but I have come that you might have life and have it to the full. That means this resurrection that we're talking about, this life that we're talking about, this fact that Christ conquered death, hell, and the grave, it's a life not just for the future. Man, that is great. That is grand. That is good. I am looking forward to being in heaven. I don't know about you, but I'm looking forward to running on the streets of gold and riding on a lion and flying to Mars. These are the things I think about when I think about heaven. (laughs) 
but it's also a life for now, for today. It's a life that compels you to be salt and light, to be a conduit of the love of the Father that he so lavishly has spilled upon you. Bow your heads with me. This is your moment. I know that there are people in here who feel that longing and that desire to get back in relationship or to experience anew and afresh what it means to walk and talk with the creator of the universe. And I'm serious here. I do not want you to allow this moment to pass you by. You do not know what tomorrow holds. This is not a scare tactic. This is the real, real. You do not know what's going to happen at three o'clock today, much less in three years. You do not know that you can just live how you want to live and say, I'll come to Christ later and then do all that. You do not know if this very life, this very night, your life will be demanded of you. And I tell you right now in this moment, your life is being demanded of you. It is being questioned of you in this moment. Because the life that you're living is not life if it is separated from the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. It is a shadow of existence. It is a shell like an empty Easter egg. An Easter egg with no candy in it. Nobody wants that. But that is your life. If you have not said yes, and it's not about saying yes once, it's about saying yes, 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 yes today, yes tomorrow, yes in every moment, yes over and over and over. That is the only way. It is not a once in a moment salvation. It is a salvation that is fought out with fear and trembling by saying yes and yes and yes. That leads to a sanctification, a holiness. I know some of these words don't even make sense. But I hope this one word makes sense. This moment I present to you the words of the Father. The words of Jesus. The words of life and death. Will you choose life or will you choose death? Will you choose to identify with the death, burial, and resurrection of the Messiah? Or will you continue to live a vain and empty existence? Every head bowed, every eye closed. If you are ready to say yes, if you are ready to make that step, I'm going to ask you to come down to the altar. Yes, that is a step of boldness. Yes, but it is the only way. It is to put action to your thoughts. It is to put one step, one foot in front of the other. Holy Spirit, I pray that you would strengthen those right now who know they need to say yes.
May they know your love in this moment like never before. May they experience the freedom of putting one foot in front of the other. Thank you for hearing today. Visit us at trinitychapelaustin.org to see what we're up to in your neighborhood. Be fruitful, my friend. Be fruitful. Thank you.